So we've been talking um, about the causes, what apathy is. Apathy is not having a passion anymore. Somehow we've lost this fervor that we're supposed to have. And, and, and I don't know when it started, but most of us remember, uh, we got to experience this yesterday with Chase, uh, and he was baptized. There was just an excitement here. And, and, and usually around baptisms there are, not always, but usually around the baptisms, such an excitement and a thrill because what you know is your sins have just been forgiven. What you know is the Holy Spirit has just taken up residence in my mind, in my heart as a Christian person. And I've been added to this family, and it's exciting. It's much like a, it's much like a birth, like having a baby or having adoption day when you're adopting somebody. And the excitement of that just builds and builds, and rightly so. And that's why there's a party in heaven, right? We talk about this from Luke 15. There's this party in heaven, and there's this party on earth among God's people as we're excited about this. And maybe, I hear people describe this all the time, you were so on fire and all that, I don't remember all that, I don't remember necessarily, I just remember the excitement of that, but something happens, life happens, time happens, and that crystal clarity of seeing what God did for me in the gospel, and that wonderful freshness of having experienced that, that redemption, uh, that, that kind of just kind of, I, I guess it dulls with time, it curbs the enthusiasm, sobers the spirit a little bit. We might be challenged or weighed down with grief or doubt. We've talked about all these causes that get in the way of our of our fervor that caused the apathy. So you got fervor on one side and apathy on the other. Do I have Romans 12, 11? Is that what I've got on the first screen? I hope, yeah. This is what was read a moment ago, part of what was read, and I know you heard it. Man, did he speak clearly. And he says, never be lacking in zeal. Do you ever feel the zeal waning in you? Keep your spiritual fervor. The word there is picture of fire keep because the spirit is wind fire breath keep that fire that fire and you just keep serving God and, and and why does he have to tell them this maybe doubt seeps in maybe grief seeps in maybe life seeps in maybe distractions maybe lack of making it a priority anymore other things get in front of and obstruct the view of what the gospel does. There should never be anything. I, it, it, there should be never, never be anything that dulls it. It's like that song, tell me the story, of G tell me again. I love to tell the story. Do we really? Because sometimes after a while, it just becomes old hat. How do we, well, how's it described in Revelation? You've lost that loving feeling. Okay, that's not what it says. I mean... But it, you've, you, you've lost your first love, or, or maybe it says you've become lukewarm, and we need to restore that passion. How do we do that? Well, I've got bad news for you a little bit. I wish we could sing Light the Fire, and that's all it takes. Wouldn't that be nice? Light the fire. Or maybe, restore my spirit, Lord, I need. I mean, those are jazzy songs. I mean, wouldn't it be great if I could just sing it, and here it comes, and I pray for it, and just like in the days of Elijah. It just doesn't happen that way. It's more like the karate kid. You know this, the original one, the only one that should have been made? The one where he, he, he can't wait to learn it. He can't wait to learn it enough, karate enough, to whip all his enemies. 
But when he goes to Mr. Miyagi, all he gets is a bunch of random exercises to do that's free labor. He becomes like, he feels like he's being enslaved somehow. Do you remember like, uh, wax the car and sand the floor and paint the fence? You remember? And he's doing this just forever. And he's like, this is wasting time. I want to do the thing. Same as when, I've used this before, but I wanted to sing John Denver songs and Don Williams songs. And they're very easy to learn on the guitar, actually. And so Melissa actually gets me a guitar, and I still have it. It's still in the case. And it doesn't, it's just dusty, right? Because here's what I learned. I want to do that. I just don't want to have to learn to do that. I don't want to, I don't, I took the lessons, a few of them, and it just didn't come quickly. So just give it up. I want to be John Denver right now. Right now. And I know a lot of people that I want to be spiritually mature right now. And in fact, I know a lot of people who think other people should be mature instantly. But that's not how it works. And and what you learn from the Karate Kid is this. I'm going to put this on a screen, I think, is this. Repetitive actions practiced over time form habits that finally shape you. That's what you learn from the Karate Kid. You keep doing it enough, it becomes second nature. It becomes automatic in your life. But you, they don't, they're not born in there. They're not there by nature. You've got to put them there. And that's the part we don't like. Repetitive actions practiced over time form habits which shape you. And I want to be spiritually shaped, but it's going to take repetitive actions. So here's... No shortcuts here. If you want to be known as a generous person, do you know what you have to do? You have to give. And give, and give, and give. You've got to do it. If you want to be known as a kind person, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit is to be kind. And I want to be, well, how do I learn kindness? By doing kindness. And making it so repetitive and so part of you that it's automatic. You want to be patient? If you're honest, you'll say, not really. I don't want to. You want to be patient? You've got to welcome those moments when you're prone not to be. And you've got to be determined to be. And do it this time, and at that stoplight, and at the next stoplight, and at the next stoplight. And by the way, you have plenty of opportunities in Jonesboro to do that. And now... Brooklyn and Paragould and I mean it just you've got the opportunity the question is do you really want to do this well the best way to deal with apathy is to change everything and start doing some repetitive actions that will generate this and you you target your weakness maybe maybe that's a way to do it if doubt is the thing well tackle that doubt if laziness is the thing tackle that with some discipline if the fact that you just put a bunch of unimportant things first in your life will then start just changing the way you do things. You just got to start some repetitive actions. It does depend on you. I'm going to share with you this verse. It means a lot. Romans chapter 8. Yeah, I skipped one. Sorry. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. A few verses earlier, he said, those who live according to the flesh put their minds on the flesh. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set 
on the Spirit. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if, notice these prepositions, this is really important. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Who does it? Who puts to death the stuff of the body you don't need to be doing? Who does that? Look at the verse. You do it. You've got a role in it. But it's empowered by whom? The Spirit. The Spirit's got a role. You gotta, you gotta, we got to do this. Okay, When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in your life. But you've got a cooperation going here. God is very much active, and he's very much willing to help you. He's very much present in your life, and he's trying to shape holiness in you. But you can sabotage the whole thing. You can't do it without God. God won't do it without you. That's kind of how alcoholics say it, right? And that's kind of true for, there's a lot of AA stuff in what I'm talking about. I've been studying AA, and I find them fascinating. And that's kind of part of this. We have to start some things, and we have to stop some things. The way Paul describes it is you put off this stuff that you've been doing, and you put on this stuff. You've got to stop some stuff, and you've got to start some stuff. Repetitive actions, continued over time, shape you. Form habits that shape you. So we're going to be talking about a series. What's a series of practices that you can do that will restore your passion? You can't just pray and hope God the, uh, uh, miraculously does this. And the first one is this. And this is, this is let, me, let me hit sun, uh, second Sunday share real good here. This is about honesty. Being honest with yourself. And... Um, and what that means is by confessing to someone. Here's the two steps of your spiritual life, okay? This is the two-step. This is the spiritual two-step you take. You need to be forgiven of your sin. This is priority number one. That's the basic problem of all our, our lives is we got a sin problem. But Jesus takes care of that. You need to confess, but Jesus forgives you. But you know what? There's still another step. James mentions this. After you get forgiveness, there's still the problem of the sin pattern in your life. You need to be healed. That's a different thing. And there's a lot of people that, you know, my only problem is I got a sin problem, so I'm going I'm to pray Jesus and I'm going to have him forgive me of my sin of another day of no prayer, no, no really pursuing him at all, and I, and, and, I, and I ask for forgiveness. And of course, you are granted forgiveness. But you're not just interested in forgiveness. You're interested in change. You're interested in being healed of my laziness. You're interested in I want to be different. I don't want to just be forgiven. I want to be different. And so I want to, and, and, and the way James says it, if you want to be healed, you know what he says you have to do? Anybody remember James 5, 16? You've got to confess to another. You need some help from the community. Jesus is going to forgive you, but you need healing, and the way healing comes is by confession and help from someone else. You just can't do this by yourself, not alone, and you want healing. And so how do we do this? And I think this is where we, I'm, I'm going to, I put on my, my manuscript over here, uh, superficial, and that's a terrible word. 
because it sounds like our, uh, a fellowship right now, like this right now, this kind of assembly is important. It is not superficial, but it's surficial. You may know what surficial would be. I don't know that this is a word. I really hope so, but if not, I'm making it up. Surficial is it's on the surface. You see me and I see you. I know where you are and I know some things about you, mostly whether you're a Cardinal fan or something else. Those are the, those are the kinds of things you learn in a large assembly. And this is important and this is really helpful, but this is insufficient for what we're talking about. It takes knowing each other a little deeper, and that's where the second fellowship, called small fellowship, it's, it is even more essential for your spiritual life, but it's much more difficult to find. At least, it doesn't come automatically, and you don't want it. You don't often want it. There are lots of people that like to go to big churches, and do you know why they want to go to a big church? Anybody want to know why they go to a big church? So they can hide. They can just, like, I can walk in there and I can do my worship and go out there and nobody really knows me. And they won't ask me to do anything. There's lots of people who do that. No qualms about that. Probably not on a Sunday night crowd, okay? It's probably not you. But what I'm saying about our small fellowship, we need places where we can confess and be honest with each other about this struggle of trying to have spiritual fervor. I love Second Sunday Share. We're not there yet. But those elemental building blocks are being established as you meet on a regular basis on Second Sunday. And eventually, y'all, some of this stuff is going to go in there. But even if it's not a formal small group like that, we've got to have moments where we can share with each other, I'm really struggling in my spiritual life. And you've got to be able to say that out loud to another person who also wants that same thing. And if you never get there and you think, I can handle this on my own, you're like being God. I can handle this on my own, and you cannot. And in fact, you cannot set yourself on fire spiritually like that. It's like going to a doctor and you want him to examine you. You want him to examine you and tell you what your issue is, but instead, you go to a doctor, he examines you, and then he stands in front of a whole group of people and he gives a lecture about what... Uh, some, some symptomatic things that you have, and he gives this general lecture to everybody about this is what happens sometimes, and this is what happens sometimes. And he says, now I've treated you, and he walks away. Is that how you want a doctor to be? You want a doctor who treats you and your stuff. And that's where we need this fellowship, this confessional fellowship with each other. But what does this have to do with it? Apathy. I think most of the time we want to convince each other we've pretty much got it all together. And I don't know that we get real with each other necessarily this way. But if you'll find a person or two to come clean to, and by the way, this is how AA works, and it's a magical thing that they've got, also how like Celebrate Recovery works. Um, confession here's two or three things confession does it lets it be known that I've got this issue that I can't remove on my own and it brings it into the light the great power of sin the great power of a rut is the secrecy it's shrouded in you protect that thing 
you tell no one. You don't want anyone to know this. And because you don't let anybody know this, it gives it power and it gives it strength and it will never be dealt with. But when you shine light on it, particularly light from another person knowing it, it dissipates and it starts to evaporate. So talk to somebody. Tell them this issue. Yes, I know you can talk to God about anything. Again, you can get forgiveness, but you're not looking for forgiveness. You're looking for healing. Secondly, secondly, then other people now are able to pray for you. This is a huge deal. Intercessory prayer is a huge deal where you're not doing this by yourself. I would like to know from God one day on a chart. I'm going to go up to him and say, God, show me a chart. Show me a chart of how my life was blessed by my own prayers for myself. Now, God, I want you to show me how I was blessed simply by virtue of others' prayers for me. I wonder what that'll look like. See, I can't answer that. I don't know that. I'm going to ask him one of these days. But let me just ask you this. How many of you, during a week, Pray for your preacher. Wow. I can't imagine the mess I'd be in if I didn't have those. Seriously. And every one of you, I'd like to, it'd be interesting. I wish you could know how many people here pray for you every week. And what kind of things does that impact in your life, you think? Now, what, what could be, what could be accomplished if, if you have two or three, just two or three, you don't need to make, again, I, one of the worst things we ever did, I mean, this sounds terrible, was make this confessional thing in front of the entire church. That's one of the weirdest things we ever did. I don't know that that's the spot all the time. There are some things that need to be known, but a lot of times I would like to say, hey, you find your group, find your people, and you confess those things. I don't know that you need to say it in front of 600 people why people don't like to come and do that necessarily but if you had two or three things you you really want to restore that spiritual passion and you know that it's kind of lulled and your zeal that God wants you to have has been curbed and you ask two or three people who love you and they have the same kind of desires that you do and they're praying for you I wonder what impact that might have beyond what you yourself can accomplish through your prayers and effort. But we'll never know. Because we won't say it. And then it enables other people to share their understanding and positive examples. Again, the power of AA. I've attended some AA meetings. No, I'm not an alcoholic, but I can attend the meetings, right? So I attend the meetings and the power they say is these guys get on there and they're frowned upon by everybody in culture that knows but they get into this group and they admit I'm really going through a struggling time and somebody over here who's been there says a slogan or says a line that this person over here goes wow I never thought about that and by virtue of that one insight they're given strength for one more week Because no one person in the church knows everything about anything. 
But together, we get together in fellowship and we share it and we realize there's a, there's a famine over here in this brother and this person over here. I've been there before or I've heard about it and this really helped me and suddenly a light goes on and it's all because they shared it. Second Sunday Share, it's the perfect name. Now, practical solutions real quick and I promise we'll be done. And you're always saying it's too late to be real quick. I know, right? Create or find a spiritual community within the church. I love the full Sunday morning assembly. I love it. I would never, never meddle with that. But you need more. It's too big. It's too bulky. It's too clunky for what this is talking about. It is great as a supplement. It is great as a strengthening. But you need this right here. Fellowship, small fellowship in particular, I want to say this line twice, is what makes confession bearable and productive. There are people who say to me, I can't bear to do this in front of everybody, but what makes it bearable is when I can do it in front of somebody. And the thing about AA that's so interesting, no one looks down on anyone because nobody's faking anybody's out, anybody out because everyone there has the same problem. And can I tell you what we are? We are sinners anonymous. If you think anybody in here has a unique sin that no one else has struggled with, you don't know your word. Specifically. I'm just indifferent to the things of God. I don't even care what the Word of God says. I, I, I'm, just, I'm so distracted with superficial stuff, like all this other stuff, and I'm, I don't even care about the things of God, and that bothers me. And you confess, and I don't know what to do. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm full of ignorance. I don't know what to do. I just don't I have this motivation. What a, confess it. Say it out loud, and you can't say anything that shocks anybody here. You cannot shock us in small group. We're not going to run out of here and go, can you believe that this is the first person ever to struggle with something? That's impossible. It's impossible. All temptation is common to man. There's nobody. And finally, identify and spend time with passionate people. Iron sharpens iron. Spirituality is so contagious. You find somebody who has that zeal, somebody who has that passion, they're on fire, hanging out with them just somehow does something to you. Those who walk with the wise become wise, Proverbs 13, 20. And so you find someone who has a care about this, and you know it because, you know, they read spiritual books, they read Scripture, they talk about it every once in a while, they might teach it well, they just have this walk that's so confident, and, and people, they just radiate joy and peace, and you look at that and you're like, that's what I want. Well, if that's what you are looking for for you, hang out with that dude. Figure out what you do. Step one of AA. You have to admit that by yourself you are powerless over this. You simply have no ability to fix this yourself. That's the number one key. And step number 12. If the alcoholic doesn't keep helping other alcoholics they will return to being an active alcoholic. It's a weird thing. 
if they aren't active in reaching others and helping others, they will revert. And if we aren't actively spiritually involved in each other's lives, we will lose the spiritual vitality we've got because that's the only way to maintain it. It's amazing, amazing. All AA is, is being specific about what Scripture is. It's an amazing thing. And so here's step number one, okay? The pursuit of restoring spiritual passion, confession. Let's come clean with small group of people and let's pursue this. Let's want it bad enough. And I'm going to tell you this so strongly that you, you're going to disagree with me and you're going to argue with it and you're going to discard, just discard it before you leave. And I know you will and that's okay. If you won't confess it to another person, you ain't serious about fixing it. You're not serious about fixing it. You're playing a game with yourself. You got to confess it. <laughs> and so I'm going to extend an invitation for you to come in front of 300 people. Is that not ironic? Actually, I'm going to say to you if this is a struggle for you and you want that spiritual passion, maybe you once had it, maybe you've never had it, but you know what it looks like and you want that. I'm going to tell you don't come forward, go find someone and confess that to and say what can we do about this but if there is a spiritual thing in your life that would that would warrant and would be benefited by coming before a group of people like this morning or 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 something totally maybe you want to come to Christ for the first time that would be something perfect for the whole community to share in or if there's something for whatever reason you draw strength from numbers looking at you people that's a good thing to do and if that's what you need to do, make it known now as we stand and as we sing together.